Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. And you're listening to Full Metal Pod. So, uh, we did miss last week in recording, largely because uh, if you've been watching the news, you've seen that there is a lot going on, or there was a lot going on in Texas, and people are still recovering from it, power outages and whatnot, but... um, you know, it looks like we're past that part now, so here we are. Um, uh, you know you were hurt, affected more by it, Jimmy, than I was, just virtue of the fact that you actually live in Texas. How was that? Um, I will never take electricity for granted again. Being um, without it for about three days, definitely rougher than I thought it would be. Yeah, I could only imagine what that would be like because I, I don't think... Like, I've had, I think the worst I've had in my life that I can think of to date was, like, just a single day of outage. And I can't even remember what the circumstances were around it. Like, somebody hit a pole or something like that and it just screwed things up. But, yeah, I can't imagine what it was like being in Texas all that time and having to deal with, uh, one, not having electricity, not having power, pipes are frozen, and, of course... You know, you're cold, too. I mean, yeah, cold, you know, you can deal with the cold, but most people, when, they, when they're when they in the cold, they run into, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They they run into heat. It's kind of the same thing with the heat here in, in Texas, where, you know, it's 100 degrees in the summer or whatnot, but you run into the AC. But when the heat or AC isn't running, you're kind of out of luck. So that's kind of what it was like, I'm guessing. Yes, and I'm a big fan of the TV show called Survivor. And I've always wanted to be on it, and I'm like, I think I could do it. I can handle the element. This this week has proven me wrong, and I don't think I could do Survivor anymore. Yeah, I don't blame you for thinking that. I don't. I never thought I could, and I still don't think I could, it, unless, it, unless I don't know. They gave me a candy bar, or gave me like some semblance of normal life every day. Maybe I could push through it, but otherwise, nah, probably not. So I think I need to find a new dream TV show to be on. It reminds me a little bit of a Daniel Tosh joke, and it's I've thought about it before with S- not SNL, sorry, um, with Survivor, <laughs> and yeah, it's true. They get like they will give you a million dollars to live somewhere where people already live. <laughs> like <laughs> it's like a lot of times they take you to a place where there's already people like. Maybe not right in that exact location, but maybe 200 miles, or not 200, like 20 miles away, if not less. There's like a village of people living there and just hanging out. And they're like, oh, well, we, this is like one of the hardest places in the world to live. And if you can pull it off for, for X amount of months, we'll give you a million dollars. And there's like, like five generations of people living in a hut somewhere, like, well, what, where's our million dollars? It is funny you say that because on Survivor, they do go every now and then there'll be a reward and they get to eat with the villagers. And they, the Survivor contestants look disheveled and like they've been through the worst thing in their life. And the villagers seem fine. And they, I wonder what the villagers mm-hmm. think when they see them. Oh, they just probably think weak Americans or I don't know, something to that effect. Just, you know, seeing these sculpted people walking around like complaining about lack of water or whatnot when they're like yeah we've learned how to deal with it true so survivor dream out maybe uh 
I could be on some other show. If anyone has suggestions, let me know. I still want to go into one of the um, trivia shows. I mean, even though he's gone, rest in peace, I would still like to go on Jeopardy one day. I kind of regret not having made it at this point because, you know, I would have loved to have been on when Alex was on, but I could still go and fulfill a dream. Uh, And then I think there's a few other new game shows that I wouldn't mind being on, like uh, The Chase, which has... uh, I keep forgetting their names, uh, James and Ken, like the three top goats, I guess, of Jeopardy. And it's like a trivia contest against them. That one I could probably do. And then I don't know why, but I watch Name That Tune. And granted, I know it's a lot, it's very different on, you know, being the person watching TV versus actually having to be there. And try to think of things on the spot when like you're nervous and everything. But whatever I do that, I'm like, I get 80% of the songs in like, in like a second or two. So I'm just like, I could make an easy hundred thousand dollars if I went over there. Oh man. I had to check that. That's always on my Hulu. Uh, name that too. I need to check that out. Yeah. Unless I go to an obscure band or something like that. I'm usually pretty good. I think anything prior to like, if it's mainstream, and it's like maybe 60s to today, I could do it. Now, when you start getting to obscure songs from like the 60s, 70s, and even 80s, then I start to fall apart. Man, oh, I wish there, there needs to be a game show that I'm good at. If they make Candyland into a game show, then I think I would want to be on that one. Just you wait. I guarantee you somebody in Hollywood right now is pitching that or has pitched that, knowing how Hollywood is. And if they're listening, I would like to be the host. Apparently, there was a Candyland show with Kristen Chen- Kristen Chenoweth on the Food Network, like, last year. <laughs> dreams smashed. All my dreams have been smashed this week. No, that's a good thing, because that means uh, if it's still running, you can go play it. It looks like a... I don't know, because it's on the Food Network, so it makes me want to think it's like a... It might be a cooking show. But I'm also looking at like what they're writing about it, and it looks like just a live version of the game show. Like you walk through Peppermint Forest and Chocolate Mountain and Lollipop Woods and stuff. So hey, it might just be like a uh, life-size version of that. That would be awesome. And on the note of Candyland, now that I'm thinking about, I would like to see like Guillermo del Toro's version of Candyland as a movie. It would. The candy would be like washed out and fl- in its color and all of that. Monsters like the the lollipops will like be like will have their eye in their hand and all that jazz. I think that's what we we need in like like a grittier Candyland movie. Yeah, I've often joked like about what would happen if they tried to bring back shows, but they or or swapped uh, directors of movies and made like. A regular movie, very uh, like like a like a rom a rom com or a film that was originally a rom com like uh, Love Actually or something, but rebooted it as like a psychological thriller. Yeah, it would. I always think about that too. Kind of like if we switch directors from different movies and see like what the vision would be. Yeah, or 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 just like um, I, I like it would be funny to watch um. What's his name? Jordan Peele. So, like, if they did a revival, they were like, coming this summer, Jordan Peele's Good Times. You would watch it because you'd be super curious to know what he did to that film. But you know it would, like, no, or not that film, that show. 
but you would know that it would be a psychological thriller and there wouldn't be, it'd be a borderline horror movie. It wouldn't be a fun romp on a, on a lower class black family in the seventies. We need to, let's write a spec script, send it off to Jordan Peele. Let's get this made. SNL once did a joke for uh too, where they were talking about how um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch had a reboot on Netflix, but it's a much darker reboot than what the original show was. So they were joking about uh, doing like a Family Matters reboot, but a gritty reboot of that and calling it Officer Winslow. And he's just like coming back. He comes back home, but he's drunk because of all of the... Uh, all of the stuff that he has to deal with on the streets of Chicago as a cop and stuff. And he shoots off his gun in the house. <laughs> they are actually working on a reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I've seen that. And it, it's like more edgier, right? Yeah. Well, what happened was that somebody, uh, it, it, it was a, it was like a school project or something. But clearly these people had a budget because of what we were seeing. It was just so, so, I don't want to say bizarre, but uh, like like the production value on this fake commercial for the new Fresh Prince of Bel-Air made you think it was an actual thing that was going to happen in Hollywood. And apparently like Quincy and Will Smith saw the trailer and they liked it so much that they actually decided to reboot the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So that's coming, I think, next year or something like that. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I'm excited for something like that. But do we need a reboot of the French Fresh Pants? It could have just been its own thing. I don't know. I mean, I'd be fine with it. It looks like it's coming straight to Peacock, which I guess makes sense. You know, live TV is kind of going to the past. And it will. It looks like it will be more of a drama than a sitcom. Wow, it's going to Peacock. That's like Saved by the Bell's re- like reboot is on the Peacock, and Punky Brewster just got a reboot or like a sequel or something like that. That's going to be on Peacock as well. Interesting. Yeah, I think all the companies are starting to invest in their streaming services for uh, future things. Like I think, I think television being like the first entry point if you will for for major media is going to be kind of a thing of the past like back in the day it seems like like with cw and cw seed and stuff like that like the stuff that made it to the internet was stuff that wasn't good enough to be on tv but now that's definitely changed well i'm excited for it yep i guess we can jump into the podcast now it's almost 13 minutes in or so so we can do that uh, this episode is going to be a little different, so instead of doing two episodes, we're just going to do one, uh, and then we're going to do kind of a recap, looking back at the past 50-some-odd episodes, uh, largely because we're getting to the end of the podcast, and what we when we were looking at the episodes coming up, we noticed that some episode pairings made sense more than others in terms of the flow. So we basically are just doing one episode to kind of correct our recording schedule. Uh, But we'll be back to two next week. And uh, this week we will be doing episode 50, Upheaval in Central. So I know we've been off for a week, so just to recap, where we left off, uh, Mustang and his team with the Fuhrer's wife run into a warehouse and they are cornered by central soldiers and central central soldiers 
essentially say, hey, we need to take Mustang alive, uh, kill everybody else, which also means kill the Fuhrer's wife. And we hear gunshots and we see the outside and we don't know what happened. So now we follow up right after that. Yes, there were gunshots fired, but not from the central soldiers. Mustang had a plan and he had men waiting in the rafters of that warehouse who shot the soldiers. Didn't kill them, just shot them. Another one of Mustang's men arrives and says that, hey, you know, this soldier here made a direct order to kill the Fuhrer's wife. So that must mean that the military is now against the Fuhrer's wife or something after all this chaos. Mustang is noticeably upset that his suspicions were correct. Obviously, he set this trap up just in case they were followed. And the fact that they were followed and did hear such an order makes him just sad because it makes him realize how far the country has gone. Uh, Mrs. Bradley naturally is very confused. She doesn't know if the country has forsaken the Bradley family or if her husband has forsaken her or what. Mustang doesn't know exactly, but he wants to protect her so that she can let everyone know that Mustang and his team were always on the side of the mistress and its people. Reinforcements arrive, and they fight back. When I say they, I mean Mustang and team, but they spare the lives of the soldiers. Mrs. Bradley doesn't seem to know that her husband's dead. At least that's the impression I'm getting through him this whole time. And Mustang goes out to continue fighting, but he is, he's, you know, using his flame alchemy at a distance. And, yeah, as I mentioned, no one is dying. Like, he is, he's purposely just wounding people or getting people out of the way. Mustang just doesn't want to kill the foot soldiers, let's put it that way. We see that General Kremen orders more soldiers. The other generals are deliberating what to do. Mustang and his platoon aren't really killing anybody, but how long can they keep that up? Olivier says that Mustang must be going soft. The only thing softer than Mustang are Central soldiers. Central has never had a full-scale assault on their men, so their men have really no proper experience on how to handle that. Olivier tells them to relinquish control of the central troops to her because, you know, she can get them in order and get them fighting much better than the central troops can. They, of course, refuse. They remind her that she is only in central to be detained. She is essentially a hostage of central. The central generals figure that the Briggs soldiers won't form a coup with their leader's life at risk. Olivier mocks them. The Briggs soldiers believe in survival of the fittest. They can act as their own force and won't hesitate to fight. We then see Briggs soldiers are hiding in a cellar in like this garage door is opening and they join the fight. Mustang tells his team that Briggs soldiers were hiding in the Armstrong mansion. They snuck them in using renovation trucks, so making it look like, oh, you know, normal home renovation has taken place. Over time, they were able to fit an entire battalion there. Mustang's team runs out of ammo, but a supply truck, disguised as an ice cream truck, arrives. Maria Ross and Rebecca are in there, and they bring weapons and all sorts of supplies. They also got a lot of interesting weapons from Xing. The team escapes using a smoke grenade. They enter the car. 
They drive out of the city, they set up communications in the woods, and Mustang calls the person who arranged all the equipment. He assumed it may be a Xingyi's official, but it was actually Gene Havoc and his general store uh, supplied with all the weapons. In the Kanama slums, Lan Fawn lets the team know that she can see smoke and hear guns from the city. That means that Mustang and his team are all in action. They take this as their cue to move. Hohenheim tells Edward that he has a countermeasure in place for Father's Philosopher's Stone, but he'd rather not use it. He says that all they really need to do is destroy his container, that is, destroy his skin. He thinks that once that's done, essentially he will no longer be able to survive and Father will be gone. Scar tells the team about some tunnels that he and May used to get underground in the past and got him to Father's lair. Ed tells Al that they're leaving, and of course, well, Pride is sitting in that little dome with a little stick tapping on Al's head. Mei Chang is running through the city to get to Father. Envy tells her to hurry up as he is about to reveal the secrets to immortality. She enters a gate, but shortly after, Central Soldiers set up shop there, and really they guard because they want to keep Mustang and really any enemy out. With a gun to her head, Olivier doesn't flinch, as she is told to call off her soldiers. She says that they stripped her of their command, so she's stuck. She can't call them off. She's disgusted that they know exactly what Father is planning, and they are just not bothered by the fact that they are going to be sacrificing just regular citizens' lives for this immortality. Olivier is just furious that they are fine with doing the sacrifice. So then she takes the two soldiers hostage. She stabs one through the arm and shoots the other in the head. She saw them as nothing more than cowards. Major Armstrong is in the streets, and Denny shows up to ask Major what's going on. He says that Mustang and his former team are taking over the city. He's furious, he being Denny, because this is the same guy who, well, in his mind, killed Maria Ross. We see Fu in the crowd, and a soldier comes up to inform Major Armstrong that his sister took one of the generals hostage and killed the other general. Fu is surprised to hear this and is trying to track Ling, but with Father's Philosopher's Stone in the city, it's hard to do that. Essentially, that's a louder noise over Ling's louder noise. He also notices the presence has seemed to have tripled, which we can only assume is Hohenheim. Back at the giant Earth dome orb thing, we see Pride is still tapping, and then it kind of cuts over to Father's face and Father's eyes open. Ed is trying to figure out how to get into the tunnel as it's being guarded, this being the same tunnel that we saw Mei Cheng enter. Ed remembers that reason our able to get into the area using a tunnel in the third laboratory, so they head out there. Once they get there, they notice some guards, and they try to figure out, well, what can we do? Obviously, they don't want to kill them, so Ed runs to the soldiers and asks the soldiers to help them out because... You know, Scar's trying to kill him. He's a state alchemist. And Scar's right there. So the soldiers notice Scar. They get ready to take him out. And when they're not paying attention to Ed, Ed knocks all three of them out. Ed finds a false wall to cover up the tunnel and ultimately destroys it with his alchemy, or really turns it into a door. And they head down. 
As they get there, they see that the tunnel splits left and right, so the team decides to split up. Hohenheim takes Lanfon and goes in one direction, and Ed takes everyone else in the other direction, everyone else being Darius, Scar, Zampano, and Gerso. Hohenheim says that he wants to keep the young ladies company. He is acting borderline pervy, but really it's just a game. Hohenheim knows that she wants to go search for Ling, so he lets her go. Hohenheim's plan was to go alone all along, and he knew that he needed to give her a chance to break from the team without much guilt. Towards the end, we see that one of the generals is upset that their soldiers are just losing so badly, so we see him activate those mannequins that we saw earlier, uh, despite being warned not to by the soldiers. And as these things wake up, it's border, I mean, it's just really creepy because they're all shaky and twitchy, and they leave this blood curling scream that is heard by everyone in the tunnels. And that ends that episode. So where were you on your thoughts with this one, Jimmy? I am on the edge of my seat because it's like, it's like our team is about to assemble. They're so close. Everyone's kind of in the right area. We got May um, in the tunnels. We got Al and Scar and Hohenheim in the tunnels. Uh, Mustang and Olivier are kind of doing their outside thing. So it's like everyone's just on the verge of getting together. I'm very excited. Yeah, it's like everything that was what we were building up to over the past 50 episodes and now coming to a head like this is, we know this is the final battle. This is the promised day. And we also have like, what, 14 more episodes. So it's like, Man, this is going to be a really, really big day that they're all that 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 they're going to deal with, and a lot of fighting is going to take place, obviously, and a lot of yeah, just seeing everything just come to a head finally is awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. There were some great, great, great moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. But like, what were some of your favorites? Well, to start it off, man, my heart was like wrenching in the beginning when um mustang was telling bradley's wife like kind of i guess the truth or what's really happening and i don't know what she was more like her face was more sad about the country kind of turning on them or like her husband like betraying her yeah i think she's trying to figure out which is actually happening because clearly the country's turning but are they turning on her or are they just turning on the family? Like, are they trying to usurp the family and, I don't know, you know, create another, what's the word I'm looking for? Create create another account, you know, through a coup or something, uh, create a new government? Or, you know, is, is Fuhrer wanting to create his own government and just said, hey, get rid of my wife, I don't care. Like, you know, which... I can only imagine from her perspective is terrible to think like, Hey, my own husband might want me dead. I, I almost think that would be worse to think is, is happening. Yeah. And it's just, man, the look on her face. Yes. It, she was so upset. So distressed. And now, she, I mean, I guess now it's good because she's moving forward with her. I wouldn't say moving forward with her life, but she's doing better. Um, now that she knows she's safe with Mustang and it looks like she's going to be a useful 
tool, for lack of a better term, because once all of this passes, there's probably going to be a lot of confusion about who the real enemy is. And she can say, no, it's the central soldiers who are going to execute us and stuff. Mustang and his team saved us and make him look. It'll be great PR for when he tries to become Fuhrer. I mean, if Olivier, let's like, that's going to be another battle when we get to that point. Mm-hmm. But on that note, Mustang's control, that's like how he can control his fire to like not hurt anyone. That's a lot of skill. Well, they were also pretty much just not like they were shooting, but not to kill, like shooting them in a leg or on the foot or something. So that whole part was pretty interesting too. Like, like the fact that they're fighting because they know they have to fight. Like that's the only way they're going to survive, but they're not going to kill their fellow countrymen because, you know, they probably realize that the generals, know everything and aren't really telling the people further down the line. So as far as those people know, they're just, you know, Hey, they're just trying to protect their country. They're doing their duty. So, you know, they, they're like, okay, yeah, we don't want to kill these people because they, they don't know better. They don't know that they're being used and their military is going to be, uh, their leaders are going to be tossing them aside by the end of the day and sacrificing them. But then we get to the Briggs soldiers, who are kind of on the opposite end. Yeah, they are no mercy. They, I don't know if it's just because they've spent so much time, like in Briggs area, to where they are like detached from people or whatnot. But yeah, they just like they they saw the soldiers as enemy combatants and were just, and they just went for it. And it it does kind of seem like maybe Briggs is even a. It feels like Briggs is its own thing, even though it is a part of all this, um, all the military, and they're all on the same team, I guess. But it does feel like Olivier and Briggs are their own kind of army and their own kind of uh, country in a way. I think they are because they have to be. Like they, my guess from what they've said and um, up to this point in the other episodes, it's like Briggs is no man's land. It's the wild west if you will nobody who goes like it's almost like people who are who are told to go to briggs and work there are being punished it seems like like that's not like that's a dead end job to be sent to briggs as a soldier and you're largely just forgotten and you really only have pretty much the other people at briggs to depend on because you're like miles upon miles away from the closest city or village or whatever and you pretty much don't go out and wander all that much just aside from patrolling it seems like i didn't really see any many examples of people wandering and you know hanging out at bars or whatever but yeah it, it doesn't seem like it's the type of place you you would want to go to and if you're there long enough you could create your own world or your own rules i think like that's your family you care more about the people at Briggs and you do about the politics of a mistress. I did find it interesting. They weren't like, let's get these Briggs soldiers, some different clothes. Cause they were still in their snow uniforms, like the, the backup soldiers, not our main cast, but you know, like you saw them in their little all white uniforms running through town. Yeah. Well, I guess they want to make sure people know who it is uh, that it's attacking them, but it is, I guess, well, the more I see Briggs soldiers, the more I, you know, 
they're so hard because they live in the freezing like tundra area it's it's like made their hearts frozen i don't know it just feels like there's some kind of analogy there yeah I don't know. I don't know what I like. I I think I I hate the cold. Like I have been pretty open about that. I'm South Texas boy. Like I could do the cold for a little bit, you know, if I'm like skiing, and I know I'm only going to be at the ski resort or whatever for a weekend, a week, whatever. And then I go back home, and it's going to be a little toasty and stuff. But I don't know that I could actually live in the cold where you're having to like remove icicles from your from your your property and shoveling snow and going through the whole winterization process of uh, of yeah I don't like I'd imagine I I wonder like if I was put in that situation for two three four years if I would harden as a result as well and it's definitely like Olivia has definitely installed this loyalty to I do think it's loyal even though she says in this episode it's not loyalty to her. It's loyalty to the Briggs army. I do feel like it's loyalty to her. To an extent, yeah. I think you're right. I mean, they would try to save her. They're not going to just let her let her die. If she did die, I do think they would kind of form their own kind of group, in a sense. But they will try to go rescue her. I think, yeah. Well, I mean, I think what she's saying... Uh, granted, I do think they respect her and whatnot. But I do think, at the same time, if... Like, if the choice was between letting the country die and letting her die, they would let her die. Like, I think they're more loyal to their duty. Oh, you don't think she's installed in them? Like, I am the future of this country? Because we, she is strongly buying for the spot of fear. I don't think so. Like, I, I mean, I think... Like, if they're... Like, if... Yeah, I mean, I think they, they're probably super loyal to her, but I think they put duty above everything else. So, and I know they think she would do that as well. Like, she would, as a soldier, she would give up her life to save the country. But, I I mean, but we, we don't really need to worry about that because everything is going as planned. She's exactly where she wants to be. Yeah. Well, she's also shown that she can take care of herself because she just straight up, straight up murders one of the generals and takes the other one hostage after stabbing him through the arm. Oh, and I love how she compares herself to Mustang. And she's like, well, I'm not the hero of Ishval. Being like, I'm not going to show anyone mercy. Mm-hmm. Yes, she wants them to know that she is not... That she is not a softie. She can absolutely kill and will kill. What? When I was watching this episode, I definitely was getting like Captain America and Punisher vibes. Like Mustang is Captain America. He's trying to help everyone. And then Olivier is Punisher. She's doing, she's got to kill, but it's for the right reasons. Yeah, I guess I, I, guess I could see that. I, I do like the juxtaposition between the two because they both have the same goal. But one is more tame, I guess. You could say, because he, you know, at the end of the day, he's like, okay, these people, yeah, they're just doing their job. They don't know what they're doing. Let's, I mean, let's harm them because we we have a mission to accomplish. So we need to get them to stop attacking us. 
but let's not kill them because they are fellow fellow countrymen. Whereas she's just like these people chose what to do. They chose to be on this side of the war, uh, so they're that they're the enemy. Well, the two generals that were in the same room as her, you know, I I think they deserved it. They were willing to sacrifice innocent people's lives. So you know, oh yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the like the regular soldiers, they're just following orders. They're they don't know what's the tr- like the truth. No, I mean, as far as they're concerned, Mustang and his team are forming a coup, and they are doing their job to defend their country. And and I always, I don't like characters like the two generals in the room with her. I, I, I don't even know their names, but I don't like characters that are like, oh, well, our leader is going to sacrifice everyone, but he's going to save us. Like, do you not think that person who's willing to sacrifice thousands or millions of people's lives to create a philosopher's stone is gonna be like well i'll spare you guys you know they're like nothing to him yeah that's that kind of makes me sad they don't realize and i think that well i think it's the exact same thing that we actually saw earlier so like you remember in the earlier episodes we see these the xerxes the people from xerxes and the king thought he was going to get the immortality. So I think it's the same thing. Like, father is just, hey, because you guys are so powerful, I'm going to let you in on my plan kind of thing. And again, I don't know if it's like for, for us seeing it on the outside. I don't even know. Like, outside looking yeah. in, not even knowing what happened in Xerxes. But just thinking, like, you've got this guy who's willing to kill all these people. You know, I, I don't think those generals offer anything really necessary to the team if you're not offering anything necessary to the team you could be cut loose at any moment this you know even though father has all this power as an alchemist and stuff he also realistically he needs help to pull off everything that he needs to do and keep order and keep people not suspicious and stuff so i think you know that's big reason he you know lies to the generals to get them to be on his side and allow all this crap to happen like his fall and whatnot but and again, we don't really know like what the end plan is. We just kind of figuring like a giant philosopher's stone is going to be created, or a lot of stones are going to be created because of how big the circle is. But we don't actually know why just yet. No, we have no idea what he actually has planned. Uh, other, I mean, we know that he wants to create a oh, countrywide philosophers or a countrywide transmutation circle to create a philosopher's stone. Yeah, we don't know why he wants to create such a massive Philosopher's Stone or what the brothers and the other sacrifices have to do with anything. That's true, because he needs certain sacrifices to make it work. Or Yep. Is it to make it work or, like, I guess maybe he needs certain people to, like, give it the boost in you? Because, again, we don't know exactly what... We know kind of the plan, but not exactly the plan. Yeah, we know that he needs to do that. We just don't know why. What what makes it so different than that first one that he did? But yeah, and like, I I don't know. I'm I'm glad. I don't want people dying, but those generals were not going to help the country. So, you know, she, Olivia was just doing what she needed to do. Yeah, I'll give you that with the generals. They were getting ready to kill not just soldiers, but you know women, children, old people, just regular people, uh, sacrifice them for this greater purpose. So, yeah, I mean, of course she's going to kill them. That's who she is. 
I am interested because we are seeing these kind of like how Olivia does it versus how Mustang does it. I am interested to see when the two actually because they're going to have to work together. This is a giant undertaking that they're doing. So these two are Mm going to have to work together. I want to see like who takes command. One has to take, you know, their styles are too different. Yeah, uh, eventually one will have to be fewer, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing there might be like a grim part of me that's making them think that maybe one or the other will die in the conflict, and that's maybe what they're hoping for, uh, or maybe they just figure, hey, they can get the buy-in and it'll make it work, like um, with what they're doing with uh, with the with the Fuhrer's wife, you know, by having her there, they're able to say. Oh, well, you know, she can go ahead and vouch for them and say, yeah, they, these are the good guys. These are the good guys all along. Whereas, you know, Briggs, who knows who is in charge of what, or they can argue, well, Briggs was just providing support, but the real leader was Mustang and he was, or it was all his idea. Yeah. Stuff like that. So I think they're also like playing a political game too. And then don't forget, we have Grumman out wherever he is, I guess, back at the training area. You know, he's also wanting this position as well. Yeah. I think what his... Well, he already said what his strategy was in an earlier episode. He essentially figures that with the coup going on, Mustang's going to pretty much tarnish his name, as will um, Olivier, just long-term. And the citizens won't trust them. And that'll be the perfect time for him to show up and just, you know, take over as Fuhrer. But another great thing in this episode is that we got two characters that I've been kind of missing, but I didn't know how much I missed them until they came in, which is Maria Ross is back and she's just like, I'm here and I don't need permission and I brought you guns. And I love that. Mm hmm. Yes, I did like that she was back. She, you know, I guess she was the person who, um, uh, she was the person who got the Shingy's items, I'm guessing, because we know that she was hanging out in Shing, or hiding in Shing. So I'm guessing she hooked them from Shing all the way back to Central. So it's nice to have her back joining. And then, of course, um, I'm guessing the regular weapons, the guns and bullets and stuff, came from Havoc. So it was great to have Havoc back, too. Yes, but I was so sad that he was like in a wheelchair. I thought... Like, maybe he was going to work his legs back up, and he was going to be up and running. He was like, I'm going to, like, get back in the battle. I mean, he's not looking like he's doing bad. He's still got, he's still smoking, you know, still got a cigarette. And, you know, he's got some scruff going on. But, man, I was really hoping we'd get him back into the battle. But, you know what, he's still helping however he can. Yeah, at least we have, at least we have that. We have him helping out, which is nice. Uh, he's doing what he, uh, the fact that he he did arrange all those weapons and got them delivered shows that he's still doing his part. Which is great because I, I remember back when he was first in the hospital because of his injury and he was talking about, he's like, it was a very sad thing when he was like, I guess I could just like work for my family. Maybe I could just run the register. He was, it was very like a somber moment of working for his family's convenience store. But now he's found a way to use that to help the fight, which is awesome. Yeah. 
I agree 100% with that. And then, of course, we see Denny. Granted, we saw him earlier in an earlier episode, but once Ross kind of left the picture, he was kind of gone too because they were kind of, I wouldn't say like a couple, but like they, they were definitely paired together as co-workers. So, yeah, it was kind of nice to see him back in action too. And, of course, you know somehow they're going to wind up running into each other again. I hope so, because Denny was yelling at Major Armstrong, like, how can, like, Mustang killed Maria Ross? He was, like, he is still angry about that, which he should be, I think, their partners, and, you know, I'd be upset, you know, if someone attacked my co my podcast co-host, Jason, and someone attacked you, I would hold a grudge mm-hmm. forever. So, it's understandable. Does... Now, I don't remember if anyone knows what really happened, or is it just Mustang and then the doctor and, like, the brothers and maybe a couple other people now. Yeah, it looks like it's on a real, it was on a real need-to-know basis, so just the brothers, and yeah, I think it was just, like, a very, very small group of people who knew, and unfortunately, it looks like he's not one of the, uh, he's not one of them. So I think this is definitely going to cause him. It might lead to a comedic moment where he's like fighting Mustang and then Ross shows up and then they have to clear the air. But I do. I'm, I'm hoping we all, I, I can't wait for the reunion. I'm ready for the reunion of those. Yeah. I mean, they're in the same city now. There's no way it's not going to happen. It's not like she's back in Shing and they're like the likelihood of them running into each other is non-existent. And then we get Pride just banging on Al's head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like, why is he banging on his head? Yeah, he, and then, of course, Father, like, notices, or they cut over to the banging, and they they, they play the audio of the banging over a picture or, or a still of Father, but then his eyes open. It's almost as if he was sending a message to Father or something. Like, I, I don't know, like, the way they lined it up. Yeah, it does feel like it's somehow a communication. Um, I do wonder if the tunnels the tunnels go through that city though, right? That they were in? Uh theor- I guess, theoretically. Because the so the tunnels circle. So there's that giant tunnel that circles things. I don't know if the, the tunnels that they're using go all the way out to Kanama because I figure if they did they would have just used that entry in the tunnel. From there, so... Well, I was thinking maybe him banging the vibrations could travel through the tunnel, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, too. Yeah, I guess that, now that I think about it, that makes more sense, because there's no way that thing's loud enough for it to reach all the way out. Man, now that kind of we get that at the end, that he's banging and it's kind of a message to Father, it ruins, like, the plan, in a sense. Because... Edward told Al that they're leaving and they're going to take care of Father. Which is basically the plan. And now, like, the sneak attack has kind of been spoiled. True. Uh, A little bit. But, you know, I guess it makes sense because we have a few episodes left. So, that kind... Just the fact there's a few episodes... Like, not a few episodes. Like, something like 14 almost left. 
that kind of indicates to me that their 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 struggle is far from over and they and so there's probably going to be a lot of interesting things happening and a lot of uh setbacks well i don't think you could ever get the sneak on like father i think he's just too powerful to get the sneak on so i even though probably let them know i don't think they would have gotten the upper hand i i hope so i i do hope that they i mean that he gives them a good fight that would be very uh anticlimactic if it's just like uh what was that word not word um uh Earth, remember Earthworm Jim, that game, and then there was like a a boss, like a goldfish or something. The way you beat him is just to knock him off, the knock his fishbowl off of a table, and that was that. <laughs> oh, man. That would, it would be funny, but very angering if that happened at the end of the series. Yeah. This episode does end on one of the most horrifying things um the other general goes up and he he puts all the souls i guess in the soulless bodies i don't know what he's doing but he's activating the uh, i don't know what they're called i just call them mannequins because they're or, or dolls yeah turning them all on and they're screaming and like third eyes are coming out of their foreheads and it's horrifying because um, I guess are those things in the red tubes uh, philosopher stones? Yeah, they're philosopher stones. And I don't know now. Like when you when we saw the first philosopher stone we ever saw, which I think was like, oh man. Now I can't remember the name of the city. Uh, the father was using it. Was that like the first philosopher stone we saw? Uh, yeah, Father Cornello and Lior. Yeah. And, like, you see that and you're kind of like, oh, whatever. But now seeing a tube of Philosopher's Stones is horrifying. Because now you know the truth of mm-hmm. how these stones were created. And seeing all those tubes full of them is, like, a horrifying image. Yep. And they just essentially attach. And I'm guessing they're not attaching a full soul. Just, like, enough of a soul to give the soldiers or the mannequins, whatever you want to call them, life. Uh, but yeah, they they bond some kind of soul to them. It brings them alive, gives them some form of sentience. It looks like, but from what I remember them mentioning in an earlier episode, is they're they're kind of just dumb. Like they're not actual people. They don't have the higher thinking of people or whatnot. They just follow orders. Uh, it and that scream echoing through the tunnels. You know, it's not it's not good. I'm we're. I mean, I'm worried about what's going to happen. It looks like a lot's going to go down, but that makes for an exciting next episode. Yeah, and we are going to see, I guess now they're going to have to fight that. Uh, they heard it all through the tunnels, so that tells me that those things are going to have access to the tunnels. So it's going to be a very good episode coming up. Yeah, I cannot wait. Yep, I think this is probably the most we've ever talked about a single episode before, but I'm all right with it because I think this is like the buildup of every everything. Like this is, this is every. Everything has come up to this moment, this final day. So I am all right talking about all the craziness we see in this episode and the things that are being set up. Yeah, this is a great prelude for, I hope, an awesome battle coming up. Indeed. I think that's all I've got. What about you? No, that's all I got, too. Well, well, join us next week on Full Metal Pod when we go back to our two 
episode per week cadence and we will figure out how this drama stay ends as always i've been jason i'm jimmy bye bye